for those of you who listen to our show in the morning, me and Amy, you'll uh, know our next guest also for those who are uh, regular readers of City Journal as well as the number of best-selling books that she has authored. You'll be familiar with our next guest. She's someone who writes and speaks about issues that are important in culture right now. We're privileged to have her with us this morning. We're going to have a little conversation, a little back and forth. That's the format I think that you'll get the most value from, and I think Heather thinks that as well. She is the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. She's also a contributing editor to City Journal, as I mentioned. She's a New York Times bestselling author. You'll be familiar with her book. We've discussed it a lot on our show, The War on Cops, talking about the Ferguson effect and the nature of law and order in um, the last uh, several years, including in the city of Chicago, of course. Uh, this morning, for breakfast, we're going to discuss her latest book, also a New York Times bestseller, The Diversity, uh, the Diversity Delusion. She, her writing regularly appeals in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. She's a graduate of Yale and Stanford University School of Law. I'm not sure she's proud of that anymore, but we'll ask her. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming Heather McDonald. Seems so far away. I know. We're uh, supposed to be on the other side, but. Oh, we are? Should can we I just split? say, you split? guys are so lucky to have Dan Proft. <laughs> I have the misfortune of living in New York City, and you can look in vain in the morning for a smart political talk show. It ain't there. So, you know what? You're thrown upon the tender mercies of National Public Radio <laughs> Morning Edition. So it's a, it's a depressing situation out there, and it is always an extraordinary honor to be on 560 The Answer. It's a smart talk and, and informed talk. So thank you so much. Thank you. And um, right, just in the Mutual Admiration Society, I think what we try and do in our program <laughs> is bring on smart people to make us look smarter and to help us all get smarter. And Heather McDonald, obviously, is in that category. I have to get your take before we get into the particulars of, of your latest book uh, on the news of the day, the last 24 hours. And so in the, since this is focused on the idea that whiteness is, uh, in, in part, whiteness is a synonym, a synonym with evil, how does the left shoehorn in a uh, Native American bodybuilding strip joint bouncer into white privilege when it comes to the arrest that was made yesterday? Well, Dan's mistake is he's rational, right, and he assumes sure. that there's a reason. I cannot give it to you. It, now the, the epithets used by the left are simply reflex actions. They have nothing to do with reality. White supremacy is now the term, the favorite term of art, and it's trotted out in situations that are even more ludicrous than uh, this would-be bomber. We saw this during the hysteria, the feminist hysteria over the Brett Kavanaugh nomination, which was also portrayed, those who defended the idea of due process and a presumption of innocence uh, and using their logic to think about, is this story credible, were accused of supporting white supremacy and white privilege. What was left out of the equation is his accuser was also white. So how does race come into this? 
But it does. We've seen this as well. There's an ongoing lawsuit against Harvard University for discriminating against Asian Americans whose academic qualifications, whose culture of academic achievement is so, so fabulous that they're whooping everybody's ass when it comes to academic qualifications. So Harvard says we can't have so many Asians in because we want to admit lower qualified blacks and Hispanics. This too, this lawsuit is seen as an instance of white supremacy, even though it benefits Asians even against whites. So believe me, uh, you cannot beat this thing back by logic and argument. We can only win by simply submerging them uh, with our with getting political power, I'm afraid. Do we, do we need to do a better job of jujitsu as well? So, for example, the Harvard lawsuit that you brought up, it's worse than them just capping the number of Asians by race, isn't it? They actually, in terms of scoring Asian-American applicants, would artificially reduce the scores they conferred for personality mm -hmm. so that they had a rationale to deny them admission. So now you're actually denigrating and gaming the system against a person uh, because of their race. I, so this, this seems to me like an opportunity that conservatives should be amplifying and rallying more publicly to the defense of students who've been uh, unbelievably horribly treated. Well, they certainly, we, we have been making those arguments for decades, and yet the elites in universities keep winning. They're impregnable. One problem is Americans are generous, and they give back, and they appreciate the benefits they've received. Alumni keep shoveling money into these institutions. You've got to do due diligence, guys. Don't give them another damn cent unless you know that your alma mater is respecting the Western tradition and, and operating as a meritocracy rather than a racial spoil system. Uh, so certainly, yeah, they, they come up with any number of reasons. Uh, it, it's a perversion. It's a perversion of, of what Martin Luther King said, judge me by the content of my character. We are now in a tribal situation uh, universities and schools are teaching students to hate. They are teaching students to hate the greatest works of Western civilization and frankly to hate each other. And I am concerned that we are playing with fire and a actual civil war or race war is not out of the question if this ideology continues. Well, right, and now don't you see what was going on on college campuses, of course, permeating all corners of society, including down to the K through 12, pre-K through 12 level. Oh, the, the brainwashing goes on immediately. It is a form of child abuse. What, what breaks my heart the most is the insistence on rubbing young children, on, on stripping them of their innocence, which is the greatest gift of childhood, and, and inculcating them into the sexual revolution at age five so that we can have trans rights or trans respect or gay rights. This is irrelevant to children, and yet, certainly, it comes earlier and earlier, and the category, the, we categorize the world now in terms of the oppressed, their oppressors, and if you're in an oppressor category, which is basically, if you're 
a white male, forget it. <laughs> you are like hopeless, but unless you decide you're an ally, and that's to become an ally of the oppressed. Uh, that, that idea as well enters at the kindergarten level, where students are taught to think about themselves as racially distinct. It's absolute poison. Does, uh, does, does the spectacle that Elizabeth Warren made of herself, does this lawsuit at Harvard, does the fact that we're becoming a more multiracial society with each passing generation, does that provide some hope uh, that identity politics will uh, go away? Possibly, but you know what's curious to me, uh, you would think that Asian Americans who really are screwed the most by identity politics, because again, there's not a single selective college in the country that is not making Asians meet a much, much higher standard to even be considered. At Harvard, uh, test scores that would give Asian Americans a 25% chance on average of admission provide a 95% admissions guarantee if a black student uh, provides those same credentials. So it's, it's a vastly unequal playing field. But bizarrely, there are many Asian Americans, in fact, the majority, who still vote Democratic. And I ponder this, and I think my explanation, and there, I may be wrong, there may be others, is that the allure of identity politics, it is the, now the ideology of the elite. And if you want to be part of the elite in America, you think of yourself as a person of color against whites. And the irony is, when universities are doing their racial bean counting and doing their sort of apartheid like, well, we got to have this and that category, the universities do not regard Asians as persons of color. They're lumped in the white category. It doesn't get them any diversity points if they have Asian students there. And yet, there's Asian students at Harvard now who are going to testify as a defense witness in defense of Harvard's quota system against Asians. And what is the phrase they're using? White supremacy. So it's, it's just extraordinarily perverse. But yes, the inner mixing may help. It's a race against time. Uh, can we beat this thing back before we become something that is a, a tribal warfare situation? Do you see allies from the other side, sort of leftists getting mugged by the re yeah. implications of their positions and uh, the expression of those positions by some of their colleagues who even frightened them. Uh, Brett Weinstein, what happened to yeah. him at Evergreen State, Jonathan Haidt. Uh, is there enough sort of, um, uh, speaking of allies, is there enough opportunity for alliances with those who are not necessarily conservatives but are for free minds and a free marketplace of ideas that that would provide an avenue. You know, this Dan brings up an excellent uh, uh, situation and one that is, in a sense, I have to f admit to some Schadenfreude when I see the left turning on itself, and uh, and sometimes it's well deserved, and other times you have a little bit of sympathy for the victims. And he mentions Brett Weinstein. This was a situation at Evergreen State College in Washington. State, where a very progressive biology teacher uh, 
refused to go along with the diktat from Evergreen's massive diversity bureaucracy that whites absent themselves from campus for a day as penance for their white privilege. And Weinstein said, I don't think so. I, I don't think we're going to accept that type of mandate that's racially based. Uh, and for that, he was mobbed for hours by students cursing at him, screaming at him, and his college president, true to form of virtually every college president in the, col in the country with a few exceptions, uh, apologized to the students for sub subjecting them to the microaggression of a professor that would not go along with the racial mandate. And he was eventually forced out. Nicholas Christakis, a very progressive, highly respected left-wing sociologist at Yale University, was mobbed by a student, the, the, the French Revolution come back to life, taking people off to the guillotine by a group of students who were furious at him because his wife had suggested that Yale students had the capacity to choose their own Halloween costumes for themselves without oversight from Yale's diversity bureaucrats. So this turned Nicholas Christakis, the husband, into another tool of white supremacy. Students screamed at him, am I allowed to use the F word? We're not on campus. We're not on, on air. Or the, the, I think the F word, I think we get it. We get it, okay. So yeah. F you, you are disgusting. Who hired you? This is somebody who is world respected. So again, Dan is absolutely right. At this point, they're running out of victims on the right, and they're going after the left. So there are people who are getting it. Weinstein, his wife, they both were, they're both out of Evergreen College now, and she has been writing very persuasively against identity politics. Uh, whether it'll be enough, I don't know, because again, this diversity bureaucracy is metastasizing, it is self-replicating, it is generating ever more categories of victimhood. We're up now, I think, with trans gender categories to 116. But I can guarantee you by next year, if we come back here, it'll be up to at least 200. And each one has its own diversity you know, ally. So it's, it's, it's a good sign that we've got some allies on the left, but we need a lot more of them. Well, it seems like we're good at diagnosing what's happening. Well, we're, we don't really have... Um, a plan of action towards a solution. And, and so getting back to sort of first principles or premises, uh, should we just wall off colleges and just write them off? Amy Wax, the law professor at, at Pennsylvania, said the Ivy League schools should be shut down. They're, they're lost. They cannot be salvaged. Uh, and so, so, I mean, do we attack the premise of going to college at all in the first place and try to change the cultural mores around you got to go get your college degree even but even against the struggle that you need that credential to even qualify to even be considered for most jobs so i mean how do you navigate those waters i have to admit dan i am reluctant to take the final solution and say put them all out of existence which is very tempting very tempting i wrote this book out of both sorrow and rage Sorrow because the 
culture that I revere that has given us both beauty and wisdom is so under attack by Yahoo know-nothings who believe that all they need to know about an author, whether it's Shakespeare or, or the Greek tragedian Aeschylus or Mark Twain, all they need to know about that author is his gonads and melanin to know whether he is thoroughly contemptible and can be dismissed <coughs> without bothering to read him. So I sorrow at the loss of this privilege that universities have to pass on the inheritance of Western civilization with gratitude and love. Every professor should be down on his knees before this inheritance that he alone has been given this extraordinary privilege to curate. Uh, so I, I'm reluctant to write him off because if we could get them back into the business of their proper mission, which is to help students understand why these works are so great, why they take you out of your petty, narrow selves. You want to see diversity? Read the works of the Renaissance or Periclean Athens or the Enlightenment. That's diversity. That is thinking that will raise you to the sublime. And instead, students are being taught narcissism. The only thing they want to study is their own narrow selves defined in the most reductive way possible. So I think what we have to do, the core of this whole poison of idea of identity politics is the following idea, that America is endemically racist and sexist, and that therefore any disparity in representation of, in any organization, let's take the sciences, Google, for example, does not have 50% female engineers. The diversity ideology says that is by definition because Google's engineers are so benighted that they will discriminate against female engineers with superior qualifications to male engineers. Therefore, we need quotas. And Google is, try is implementing those quotas. Watch out. We are putting our scientific expertise and edge over China at risk with this diversity assault on the sciences. The best thing Donald Trump could do if he wants to close the gap with China is airlift a few cargo loads of gender feminists from American universities and dump them on Beijing University and its research labs. But until that happens, and we have the National Science Foundation, our premier federal funder of basic research using billions of your taxpayer dollars, the National Science Foundation is now on a diversity delusion crusade, bludgeoning every math department, physics department, chemistry department, engineering department, computer science department in the country to hire by race and gender rather than scientific merit if we continue down this path, and China, in the sciences at least, remains committed to meritocracy, it is going to pull ahead. So we need to beat back this fundamental lie because it is what is giving rise to this push for quotas. So what I would like to see is just more people step up and say, yes, America has historical sins. We were blind for centuries 
to the grotesque violation of our founding principles with the slavery and de jure segregation. And, and that is something that is our enduring shame. But we have changed. And now there is not a single mainstream institution that is not going out of its way, that is not frankly tying itself into knots to hire and promote as many females and underrepresented minorities as possible. We are not racist, we are not sexist, we are opportunity filled. We need to say that again and again and again and not let the left dominate the narrative about America's character. <clears throat> so on that topic, but a little bit of an offshoot, uh, why is it important, or maybe it's not, that uh, President Trump is moving to redefine the redefinition of sex, of male and female in this country, uh, for the purposes of federal anti-discrimination law? Why is engaging in that fight over people being able to choose their gender important? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, it's important because the idea that everything is, there's a, a phrase out in academia, uh, social constructed, socially constructed. And they argue that differences between males and females are just social constructions. It is just the patriarchy uh, that has said that males and females are. And, and if you believe that, you end up with such abominations as females in combat units? Are you kidding me? I mean, not only does they inevitably, are they lowering the physical standards, but you're introducing Eros inevitably into a close-knit unit that is going to split it apart. Uh, and, and you have, again, that assumption that males and females are identical leads again to the analysis that any disparity in representation of males and females in any profession is by definition the result of sexism and the, and the solution is quotas. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about averages here and there are you parents with daughters, I know you want them to succeed and you want them to do everything they possibly can, and they will. But on average, males and females gravitate towards different types of work. And again, I'm not speaking about the individual female astrophysicist, but males on average gravitate towards more abstract, ideas-based work. Females on average towards more human-centered uh, work that is conventionally understood as making the world a better place, relational. and. We need to understand that so that we're not imposing dangerous solutions on non-existent problems. I am, I'm, again, I'm very worried about what's gonna happen with our science edge in this country. The National Academy of Sciences, the premier honor society of our science, science accomplishment, they just came out with a, a 300 page report about the epidemic of gender harassment in the sciences. 
they actually admit there's not a heck of a lot of actual sexual harassment going on. So they've come out with a new term, gender harassment, which is that if you're not particular, if you're not sufficiently celebratory of female empowerment, it's all, it's all crock, do not believe this. But again, more pressure coming on the STEM fields to hire by gender. This is not a good direction to go down. So uh, Trump's action is good in many ways as a policy matter, and it's also good simply because truth matters. As a civilization, we should com be committed to the truth. And the truth is, sex is biological. I mean, I, I actually was naive enough that I thought when we got the trans movement saying boys are going to go into girls' locker rooms and bathrooms, I thought even NPR announcers, even, even academics, even gender theorists are not going to go along with this because you don't want your daughter, you don't want a 12-year-old boy or 14-year-old boy in your, in your daughter's locker room. But it didn't happen. I was scratching my head. Well, wait a minute, where's the revolution coming? It didn't happen. And you had corporations boycotting North Carolina for its bathroom law. Corporations are being transformed by this identity politics. It's a, it's a transmission belt from academia into HR departments. So now the last hope that I've got is Title IX. We have all the female empowerment. Let's all be strong women together with our sports teams that are you know, we're, we're, we're shutting down football in colleges so that we can have an equal number of female badminton teams. So now you have females that have been training all their lives in cycling or, or wrestling, and some trans guy comes up that's got, you know, his male testosterone. He said, oh, I happen to be a female. And these, these poor girls are saying, wait a minute. You know, there he goes running the 100-meter course really fast. So that's my last hope at this point, that the, the parents of these daughters that have been training them for athletic scholarships are going to say, wait a minute, that, that's a male that just ran by. That's not a female. I can tell. Uh, and, and that, again, truth matters, so we'll see if that works. Well, right. I mean, that's the whole thing. The, the la so it's, it's sort of perverse, though, in the sense that our last hope is to hope that they destroy women's sports. Right. I yeah, mean, that's, that's, that's sort of it's, it's pathetic and, and it's pathetic. And 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 but but, you know, you underestimate you were saying how you underestimate it. So Ryan T. Anderson, we had him on the show. We wrote a great book on He's the great. topic. He's great. So I thought we're going to win this, too. We're not, they're not going to go. Nobody's going to go for this. And there's some grumbling, <laughs> mm -hmm. but people went for it. Absolutely. Uh, people absolutely went for it. Absolutely. I think we we subscribe to this sort of um, Sir Galahad notion that the left's ideas will fail because of their own internal contradictions. You just have to be patient. Right. And uh, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not either. I wish, you know, I'm going to give you guys a hint. In, in situations one is supposed to be optimistic, people want grounds for hope. And I, I'm, I'm going to be ruthlessly honest. I'm a, well, I'm a pessimist by nature, but um, so that take that into account. <laughs> but. Uh, I think we're going to have to fight a lot harder to win this thing because the, the identity politics, the diversity ideology is moving very fast. Again, be afraid, be very afraid about the STEM fields. Uh, I, I cannot emphasize enough. People thought that was going to be a firewall. And, uh, 
And they also thought, I mean, there was a, Michael Barone is a great political analyst, works now for the Washington Examiner. He wrote a book in the last decade or so, and he had a distinction between hard America and soft America. And unlike some conservative pundits who are sort of clueless about the academy, there's some people who are so free market oriented, they sort of think, ah, the, the economy is going to take care of everything. We don't have to worry about the culture. Well, Barone actually did notice what was going on in the universities. But he said there's going to be a firewall that once these so-called snowflakes, and I prefer to call them narcissists, uh, once they graduate and get into business, the market you know, is not going to put up with this nonsense. And they're going to get the sense whooped into them really fast. It didn't happen. Corporations are being remade in the image of the academy. And exhibit A in that is the firing of James Damore in August of 2017 from Google. This was a young, meek, classic computer geek. Couldn't be a nicer guy, soft-spoken. And he had been mandated to do another session of Google's diversity brainwashing about how all of those males are sexist against female engineers. And so Google has said, we believe in diversity. We want like, to hear your thoughts. And Damore took them at their word. Bad mistake. And he wrote a 10-page memo called The Ideological Echo Chamber at Google. And he laid out in a rational, sober way the psychological knowledge that we have achieved about, again, the average dispositions of males and females, the distribution of psychological traits. And he said, maybe this helps explain why we have 23% female engineers at Google rather than 50%. Uh, he did not go where he could have gone, by the way, which I think is an equally persuasive example. This is what got Larry Summers fired at Harvard, which is to note that at the extreme ends of math skill distribution, when it comes to math dummies, when it comes to math idiots, males predominate. And it, when it comes to geniuses like Einstein, at the highest end, males predominate. So in the United States, there are 2.5 males in the top 0.1% of math brilliance for every female. And this is not cultural conditioning. These differences in math precociousness show up at kindergarten. But Damore didn't even go there. He just said, Males are more risk, they like risk, they like competition. He got fired. He got fired for writing a memo. And afterwards, it got worse. The National Labor Relations Board, Google fired, filed a complaint saying this was discrimination and he shouldn't have been fired. A regional board of the NLRB on the West Coast upheld Google and said, Demore's memo put Google's female scientists at risk. They were hurting. <laughs> they were harmed by this memo. So Google was right to fire him because he had engaged in sexual harassment by writing a memo. So this means that any evolutionary biologist 
any psychologist and any economist who is studying the differences between males and females when it comes to appetite for risk and competition is now at jeopardy of his job. And the fact that those scientific findings are true do not matter. But if you play their game, you get a $90 million payout for apparently credible allegations of sexual harassment against you like the creator of the Android operating system did at Google, as the New York Times reported this week, covering up actual instances of sexual harassment, right. paying people to go away, yep. where Damore writing a memo with, that is, as you said, with econometric analysis is de facto sexual harassment. Um, so on, on all these things that we've been talking about, is, um, is President Trump our Batman for the culture wars? Is he not the hero we want, but the hero we need? Huh. I think Trump is the most painful dilemma I've faced in my life. <laughs> I think that's what Melania said when they got married. <laughs> Poor woman, oh God. I love Trump's policies. I mean, it's just, we're finally getting sanity if Sessions stays on, which he should. Please do not bash Jeff Sessions. He is a hero. <coughs> There's nobody who could do the job he's been doing on immigration. He understands the outrage of our open borders policy. So Trump is turning things around uh, on criminal justice, on policing. He's fabulous against Sessions. But I, I, I admit, I have a, I have a hard time uh, with his thin-skinned and vindictiveness. And I know the argument that only somebody that is that aggressive in, in promoting his own ego could do what he's done. And, and the evidence is strong for that. We know that Mitt Romney couldn't have done that. Maybe even Ted Cruz could not have done what he's done. Nevertheless, I confess and I may be differing with, with you guys here, I, I do find that at a period when what rolls off the, the lips of the academia-infused diversity industrial complex, which again is in, in corporations now, is toxic masculinity, Trump to me is not a great model of, of male public virtue. I don't think he's a racist. I do not think he's a sexist. The greatest moment in the campaign when, when he said to Megyn Kelly, who was trying to mau-mau him on misogyny and, and you know, playing the stupid gender card against him, and he said, I don't have time to be politically correct. That was a great moment. Uh, nevertheless, he's so damn thin-skinned and vindictive. Again, his treatment of Jeff Sessions to me is truly appalling. This man, Sessions, is a, is a hero and a patriot and loves this country. So what, what Trump does in the long term to conservative virtues of magnanimity, uh, gratitude, loyalty, I don't know. So you guys are gonna have to do an even more concerted effort to raise your children, to raise your boys to be the, the Boy Scout credo, to be chivalric and, 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 to, and to be gracious towards other people. And I wish Trump could show a little more of that. I, I want to end on some instruction I got from you 
when you were on the show about um, how uh, men should behave on a date. Because yeah. um, so, I want to help my you know, fellow uh, males who are challenged in this space on the topic. So if you could, I mean, this is in the context of the Me Too movement that yeah. we discussed it. But I just thought the idea of uh, solving the uh, attempt to politicize male and female relationships into some kind of gender war uh, and, and all of the harassment issues and the legitimate issues of male predatory behavior uh, could all be readily addressed if we followed a few simple rules from Heather McDonald. Well, yeah, campus rape, it's, an, it's a hoax. Don't believe it. You hear about campus rape epidemic, uh-uh, not happening. It's hap Drunken hookup culture is happening. There's males acting boorishly. There's females drinking themselves blotto precisely in order to lower their sexual inhibitions for these crazy, unsatisfying, you know, just crude and ugly one-night stands. So girls are claiming they've been raped. It's largely BS. And then boys are being accused of campus rape, usually falsely, and they face these awful campus kangaroo courts that have gotten rid of cross-examination, they've gotten rid of, uh, you know, traditional due process protections. So, but you know what? I don't feel particularly bad for the guys either. Because just as every female can avoid what the rape bureaucrats call being raped, which is by not getting drunk and getting into bed with a guy you barely know and taking off your clothes, if you act prudently and modestly, you can avoid getting raped 100% of the time. Guys can avoid getting falsely accused of rape 100% of the time by walking your girlfriend home at night, kissing her goodnight, taking her to her dorm, and then going home and writing love poetry to her at 2 a.m. <laughs> it worked in the past, <coughs> right? Yeah. We wooed women. It was, an, it was a dance of desire and and attraction and seduction and poetry, we can go back to that again, I think. And, you know, and, if you, and you're not averse to people plagiarizing some Shakespeare here or there with those 2 a.m. love poems, I assume. No, that's fine, it's fine, fine. There's a lot of, a lot of models. Heather McDonald, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much.